Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 19 of Across the Pond Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Money. I'm a marketer based in Philadelphia in the USA, and I'm joined by Chris Lawson in London. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, sir. I'm very energized. You can probably tell by my tone, the start of this show, and I'd love to get straight into it. But Chris, I think we have something to announce. There's some good news as to why we're both so excited about this week's show. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you are too. Yep. Um, my daughter, Rosie Lawson, was born two weeks ago today, to be honest. Congratulations, sir. Yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Have you adjusted? Are you getting some sleep? Do you have? Do you need more caffeine for this show? I am getting no sleep whatsoever. When people said you're not going to get sleep, I was like, yeah, you take it with a pinch of salt, but well, I am getting no sleep. Um, but w- worth worth every second of it, I can tell you. I am sure it's worth every second of it. So maybe for this episode, listeners, please give Chris a pass. If I'm sort of arguing him down, <laughs> it may be because he's a bit sleep deprived in sort of January 2020, but hopefully um, the sleep will get better over time. Yeah, fingers crossed. So Chris... I don't want to sound crass, but I think I'm going to do a little segue to the topic of this week's show, but I haven't got a good way to link a new baby to this topic, so I'll just get into it. So we are <laughs> well, calling it... rubbish, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> well, exactly, well, exactly. So, just, so we're calling it, what goes around comes around, the belief that new marketing ideas are simply old ideas remixed. So you could it's link about- that to childhood or anything. Okay, well, thank you for halfway through my intro cutting me off. But anyway, I'll keep going. It's about how established brands continue to remain relevant and their ability to unlock and unleash deep consumer insights, Chris. So that's the topic of this week's show. And I'm going to start off with a story about Apple. No, wait, listeners, don't switch off. I know you think you've heard every single Apple analogy out there, but this one, trust me, is something you perhaps haven't heard before. So take your mind back to 2008 and I'm living in Frankfurt, Germany, and I'm working in Kronberg, Germany, which is a little town about 10, 15 miles north of Frankfurt. And in the office buildings, I would regularly see people coming to visit the Braun collection because I'm working on the Braun Appliances brand. It's a little mini museum where you could see the designs of Dieter Rams. Now, Dieter Rams, a little bit more about him. He's a design icon and he's world famous and very well known for his 10 principles for good design. I won't go through all of them, but he would, he's, his principles include good design is innovative. Good design makes a, a product. Good design is aesthetic. Good design is honest. Good design is environmentally friendly. And again, he's a well-known, well-respected well designer. And if you Google, Google Dieter Rams, D-I-E-T-E-R-R-A-M-S, and you'll find a bit more about him. But what we now know is that over the last decade or so, a couple of decades actually, DTRAM designs have been eloquently, beautifully copied or, or homages created by the Apple brand. And I was working on the brand, the, say the Braun brand in 2008, and we started to take a closer look and we actually saw more and more articles saying that actually Apple designs transform, copied or combined their, the work of Braun. 
which had originally created a lot of these visions and these visuals and these ideas. If you go back and take a look at the very first iPhone calculator app, it's actually based on a 1970s Braun ET44, or it's called an ET66 calculator, had these similar round buttons, and I think they subsequently made them squarer to make it less obvious. But then the Apple iMac screen with its elegant design, it's closely based on the Braun LE1 speaker. Then the classic one, if you remember the original iPod with that white wheel, that looks very, very, very similar to a Braun T3 pocket radio. And so Apple stood out for using white, but actually it was an homage to what Braun had been doing and the work of Dieter Rams. So why am I telling the story? Well, it's actually a story that helped motivate and inspire us. It actually gave us some swagger when working on the brand. It helped us reframe how we talked about the brand internally and externally with customers. And we actually started including these Apple stories into our selling stories. So in effect, we're saying, hey, we were the original source of these ideas. We had the gravitas, we had originality, but the Braun products were essentially the iconic ideas that stood the test of time. So it's kind of inevitable that we're seeing Braun ideas coming to the market because everything we do would be a copy or a remix of it. So Chris, did I manage to convince you? Well, I'll tell you what, while you were chatting away, I was Googling Braun calculators and yeah, that's amazing actually. You can you can really see that. So um yeah, I think I think that uh, I, I totally understand it. Also, again, you listen to those principles and they sound very, very similar to the Apple design principles as well. And I and I think what that leads me to to um bring us back to the show title, Sam, and uh is that in a way, there's there's no new ideas. Everything is a remix or a revision, and and I get that. And and actually, you look at other industries, and that's pretty well established as well. You think about fashion; it's widely agreed that there's a twenty, thirty year cycle before it repeats itself, and a theory proven out by the fact that the vintage of a second hand market is worth twenty four billion pounds in the US reportedly, um, which I thought was pretty amazing. Um, there's also another staggering figure for how many clothes are just left in the, the wardrobe, but uh, I think that, that one sort of brings it to life. And, and the reasons for this is that, like it or not, we we hark back to our childhood and remember what we saw in the wardrobe or what we wore, depending on our age. Economics plays a role as well. In, in downturn, people buy more sort of investment pieces um, and rein back their spending. Um, and then there's the fact that there are early adopters and a traditional um, product cycle, just just like any other sort of uh, um, market as well, and 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 so does media. Media plays its part as well. Friends with its ninety style, Stranger Things with its eighty style, all plays a part into bringing fashion back around the around the cycles. And and interestingly, there was a man called James Lather. I think that's how you pronounce him in nineteen thirties, and he, and he totally called this. He was a curator at the Albert and Victoria Museum. And he talked about a 50-year cycle and he talked about that actually um, if you were 10 years ahead of your fashion cycle, then you were considered as indecent. If you were um, if you were if sort of five years ahead of it, you were considered shameless. If you were pretty much on trend, you were seen as smart. And then 
as soon as you pass that trend, as long as you're one year past it, then it's starting to seen as hideous, then amusing before it comes back as charming and beautiful and romantic. And and it's and it's a really interesting concept that yeah maybe that cycle has speeded up over time, but but there does come a point where things actually look different and is and he he felt that you could apply this to all of the other arts and not just um fashion and the same applies to gaming as well tech radar have just released a great article helping you work out the difference between a remake and a remaster in the gaming world uh, you know a very popular genre but basically remakes being a, a lick of paint sometimes quite deeply disappointing while the the remasters are reimagination um history as well we talk about that repeating itself um although in a way that's uh taking it to extremes but there's countless example where events appear to go in cycles and deliver similar results throughout history um and you know again you you look at products and your services we took the first selfies in 1912 Scooters were used by the US mail in 1911. Chain mails were so popular that the US mail had to ban them. You're a forerunner of viral marketing. So, so again, you, you see sort of parallels from the past. And, and, and where does that lead marketing? Well, does it go around in cycles? Uh, and, and I think sometimes it's only because we're in the thick of it that we may not see those cycles and we may not see that we're repeating ourselves. But if we can take a step back, I do think there's lessons that we can learn. Um, and I think that will help us predict the future and understanding those cycles as well. So, so yeah, really interesting subjects, I think, Sam. Yeah. And as you're talking there, Chris, I was just thinking, is there an example that we could have, you know, knowing your history, knowing products, knowing business, art and culture and psychology and engineering and all of those things? But can you how can you link back to I think you talked about the timing, getting that right, whether you're shameless or whether you're smart or whether you're quaint and amusing. If you get that timing right, you're actually on trend and, and fit culture. And for me, I can't separate marketing and advertising from all of that. Um, area and the references and for me a, a great example is james bond if you think about james bond some things stay the same something's always relevant so the bond the spy the, some of the characters and there's a bond villain and perhaps the bond theme so those things have always stayed the same but some things have had to change and evolve with the time even though they're still present they're done in a different or, or better way so the sexism the bimbos <laughs> now are gone because women are empowered and women actually come and save james sometimes so it's not all about him saving the vulnerable women who are helpless actually he can even be vulnerable himself and the, the nuanced villain now it's not the stereotypes that we used to have perhaps 30 years ago of certain ethnicities were always the bad people and you have female characters now which are replacing male characters and money penny and and q and all, uh, is, is changing so what I love about James Bond is that in 2020, they've actually got a new movie coming out and it's because they can and they have found a way to be relevant, even though technically the character's maybe 60 or 70 years old. For me, that's a great example because I, I agree. Yeah. There, there, are no, there are no new ideas there, Chris. I'd, th I'd say I'd break it down into everything's either a copy or transforming something existing or a combination. And, and that's what a, a remix is. And that's why I love that expression to describe about what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a good one. Um, I mean, interestingly, every time a new James Bond movie comes out, everyone goes, "Is it still relevant? Is this franchise yep. dead and buried?" And uh, you know, and I think I think people evaluate it every time, but still, one of the most successful franchises in the in the world. Um, and and then some of this, I think, is also about how we adapt to human behaviour, and, um, and 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 I think. This is this is a, a really interesting part of it as well, the psychology of it. There, there's a brilliantly smart guy, a VC called Andrew Chen, and, and he talked about the fact that people stay the same and have stayed the same for thousands of years. It's technology that changes. And I think that you can critique that. We, you know, we, we try to work with human behavior and psychology in marketing and sales, um, and the human behavior remains the same. It's the technique, the tech, the macro picture, about changes around us so so i think that is something that is is worth exploring you know so what does this mean you stick with tried and tested principles and look at how marketing tech enables you to do what you do easier and better than before um, how do you enable um what actually is a common sort of psychological belief. You know, so self-expression, how do you foster community? How do you individualize and what do you appeal to? Um, how do you continue to look for convenience? Again, transport, communication, retail has all been about convenience, all about making life easier. So, so these are natural sort of human behavior traits. And, and I think as marketers, it's thinking around how does technology advancement and, and what do we learn from that to help improve the consumers lives of the future so sam what what would you see as a classic marketing technique that you think is gonna make a resurgence and, and how does that play play out we seem to be in an era right now where the data implies you have to keep things short and sweet interrupt with short bursts of messages and content and just fire it all out there. But I disagree. I believe you can tell longer stories and generate engagement and actually sell more. And I get, as I get longer in the tooth in the digital space, I'm, I'm less old school in how I see brands and differentiation. And I, I truly believe that long form content is evergreen. And if you are audience first and understand when and where they're doing things and how they do it, blogs, stories, ads beyond the 30 second advertisement do really work. Let's get go back to the you know the Mad Men days or the Ad Men days. And yes, David Ogilvy of these worlds, I believe actually a lot of his stuff still relevant to for today. Again, for the younger listeners, go back and check out the writing books such as Confessions of an Ad Man or Ogilvy on Advertising. They are all full of the craft and art of writing and writing long form. Long copy, whether people read it or not, actually implies you've got something important to say. If you write the long copy and your target's reading it, they're more interested and more likely to convert. There's data to show that. You also have the ability to answer more questions, more comments. And of course, in the digital world, you actually can provide more keyword rich copy. The great bloggers are actually spending more time on their content and the average post is actually getting longer. And the indication from the data I was looking at from Orbit Media is that in 2019, blog posts longer than 2000 words actually overtook the posts that were less than 500 words. So my argument is, don't limit yourself by thinking of it as content or content marketing, which implies like functional or transactional. Think of what you create as stories. Stories are the most powerful form of communication. 
They're how we share experiences. They engage our emotions. They help us share our values. They reveal our unconscious thoughts. So for me, it's all about stories. I think that's a powerful place, actually. Uh, any stories particularly come to mind? Yeah, for me, that's why examples of great advertising, actually, when I try and think of them, they were formed when I was growing up uh, back in the UK in the 70s and 80s. And it's the classic OXO family, the series of commercials that came out in the 1980s and 90s. They're focusing on a mother played by a, a lady called Linda Bellingham, who unfortunately has passed away recently. But she binds her family together by cooking the meals featuring OXO stock and broth products. But they've brought that back, but they've simply updated and modernized the narrative for today's Britain. A family that's a bit more chaotic and less perfect and you know, teasing each other and more arguments, but they still love and togetherness brings them back together. And you know what? I still buy that brand and I bring it back to the USA whenever I can because those stories still mean something to me. The point, Chris, these ads played out over decades it wasn't the instant gratification of the current creative landscape with all the sensory overload. Everything's got to be done in seven or 10 seconds. The, the nuggets of that insight about family life and being part of it gave the brand the opportunity to just evolve it and reflect that family for today through great stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that's not a brilliant example of content marketing, I, I don't know what is really. I think that, that works really well. And um, I think... It's worth you checking out, listeners, if you haven't, uh, Andrew Chen's website. He, he's got a, a brilliant resource and many different articles. Again, long-form articles. He, he sets himself, although he's a successful sort of VC, he sets himself the target of one or two essays per month, which is when you see how in-depth they are, some of them can run into 50 or 60 pages. It's, it's absolutely huge. But in one of his articles, he talks about the Michelin Guide. And I knew some of this, Sam, but not all of it. So in 1900, you're trying to create an ecosystem in France around the automobile. You know, there's 3,000 automobiles, and, and they're not very efficient, and they're, they're pretty damn dangerous as well. Um, and you're a company selling tyres, Michelin Tire Company. Company. Um, and of course, you're there going, right, well, to sell tires, we're going to have to get people to drive more. And there's only 3,000 automobiles out there. So the solution was to create a guide with all the great restaurants in France and give it out free to drivers. Uh, now, to be honest, I bet uh, uh, most people now will associate the Michelin Guide with restaurants, not with tires. But it's absolutely gave people a reason to drive. Yeah, another fantastic content marketing example, a real clever effort to do that. Um, and, and I think it just shows really that these examples have existed for decades, if not centuries before the, the current sort of raft of content marketing that we, we now bring to life. Yeah, as you're saying that, Chris, it all rests on really understanding that deep human insight and explaining what's going on. And I think you can do that really well nowadays through really understanding what culture means. And there's a cultural anthropologist called Grant McCracken, and you should check out his work at culture.camp. So that's a guy called Grant McCracken. And I was at one of his events and all of a sudden things just became so much clearer because he was using the analogy of the phenomenon of binge watching. You know, we should think about that in a very different light because binge watching sounds negative your couch potato vegging out just 
just wanting to do nothing, not moving off the sofa and just watching this, this useless bank, um, information that isn't really intelligent or sophisticated. But actually, he, he started doing some research and said, we're not binging. A lot of the great content that's actually being watched is is really a signal of feasting because it's high quality content, high quality dialogue. The house of cards of this world and the, the wired and all those things are the great sophisticated dialogue, complex characters, you know, scenarios where good things actually happen to, um, to good people, but also bad things happen to good people. It's not always the bad you die. Sometimes the good people die. It's indulgence. It's exciting. It's entertaining. You look forward to it. It's the best stuff. So when he describes it as feet feasting, it then says, well, that's why people are sharing it. They're engaged in it. They're co-creating and championing it and talking about it incessantly so that it's, everyone's suffering for, from FOMO, fear of missing out and spreading it like a virus. The great content is about feasting. And that's the true insight there that people are actually enjoying it. And, and it's great quality content. Yeah, I mean, if if you think back to sort of a few sort of decades earlier, where there was less choice, fewer channels, and perhaps less competition for the audience to choose from, that feasting concept, I think, would probably still sit. There was a, an appointment of view where everyone would sit down to immerse themselves with a limited technology. So, so yeah, again, a, a, a good a good repeat there, a good cycle, I think, Sam. So. As we're thinking about Chris, this, Chris, the buzz isn't about short attention spans. It's about people who've, who've basically spent 24 hours with minimal bathroom breaks, really investing their time in content. That it's all about the great storytelling. And in culture, that's even more important now than ever. As a brand, you have to play in things like Instagram stories and Instagram TV. You have to have the production and creative resources to form a narrative and see it through. BBC News does a great job. And so just talked about Netflix and Sephora. You remember the Netflix launched as the first DVD rental site and started selling things through Netflix. And they pivoted completely into an online streaming content house. Another brand that I think you could take a look at is Adidas or Adidas, depending on where you're from. They're up to some interesting stuff as well. Yeah, and the other thing that sort of strikes me is that there is a move back to a simpler life. And and then, of course, there is that remix moment again, Sam, that you talked about earlier on. You know, Medium makes a virtue of telling you that some articles are essays and long reads. A number of bloggers and futurologists dedicate serious amounts of time to releasing thought pieces and books are, are hugely valuable to put together. Um, so, so yeah, I can absolutely see how that, that plays out. So, Chris, if you were starting out again, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, good, good question, Sam. I, I think I would read. I would look at history. I would look at some of the wisdom from before and see m what my twist was on it, and I would try and absorb as much as I possibly could. I'd look at trends and see which ones I thought would be coming back soon and make sure I had a good early warning system to, to look at trends. Um, yeah, back in, back in the day, that would have been reading countless magazines from all different sort of sectors. Now there's, there's people that would do it all for you. There's a great, great website called Trend Hunters, well worth checking out. Um, they have a network. They, they believe it's the, the most powerful trend platform. And that's what the marketing spiel says anyway. But basically they've got a, a network of couple of hundred thousand more um, hunters that will look at trends and there's every single category that you can imagine there um, and it will look at what they are 
your topical one for me, looking at baby trends, uh, baby wearables for checking breathing by the sleeping bags right. and the subscri subscription service to recycle clothes. Smart stuff. Again, if you're looking for inspiration in your own specific sector, it's a good place to start. And I'd also look at some of the marketeers, some of the great writers that we've talked about in previous episodes and see how their philosophies and values and approaches can be applied right. next time around. You know, how often do you listen to a band that you like and then someone says, but they sound like the Stooges or The Clash. You should go back and listen to the original. And I think the same applies here, really. Listen to the original, then come up with your own take and make sure it's your own personal take on that. Yeah, Chris, As you before you move on there, I'm just thinking that's what a lot of the great artists do. They actually do study the originals and the masters and they incorporate them in a new way and perhaps in a new tempo or a different backing track or a, a different orchestration or instrumentation because it's, again, the art of the, the transforming or combining or remixing is so true. So music and entertainment, film, art, there are great examples. And I think we could also find some of those in brands as well. Yeah. I, I think so. And and I'd look at those brands that constantly reinvent themselves, but also manage to remain relevant in difficult circumstances. What What is it about them that makes that happen? The values, the relevance, that constant reinvention, a nod to the past, as well as being completely focused on the, the future, looking at new channels and new media, um, and making sure we've got the same message as well. You know, uh, brands such as Adidas or uh, Nike, I think, do that exceptionally well. Um, a lot of the time, they're, they're, they're taking a nod to the past, looking at their retro lines, bringing back their sort of the, the Sam Smith uh, of the trainer and the like. Um, so, you know, certainly worth checking out those brands just to see how they approach it over the decades. So, and it, a huge area, I think, Sam, again, something that we will come back to. For me, I think the, the most important thing to take out of this is that there is always stuff that you can learn from from history, um, whether that's the trends or looking at the cycles or looking at the philosophies and then look at how you can reapply it. But but Sam, you, you do it so well every week. What would be your three key takeouts? Well, something you said at the beginning, right up front, earlier on, is that people say stay the same, but the tech changes. And there is a lot of truth behind that. And so as the we stay relatively similar what's changing around us and how what can we learn about that how that can be applied to how we think how we work and how we live our lives secondly i would say appreciate culture don't laugh when people mention that in, in the boardroom or in meetings in the offices. You, you won't find culture in the P&L. You've really got to understand what's going on and how and, and why are things culturally relevant and current. And understanding that to be part of that is critical for your brand to thrive and survive. And finally, I'd say the power of story and storytelling. We talked about content and what it is and isn't. But for me, the truth behind great content is great storytelling. And I'm going to end on that as our third point, Chris, but there's a sort of sneaky reason why I'm going to end with the fact that storytelling is what you should have as the third one. And that is a great, great um, segue. You've done it well this time into the Thank next you. show, which is Thank going you. to be about 
good storytelling. We'll look at some of the greats, a surefire template of telling a good story and some inspiration from outside of marketing in the non-for-profit space. Um, lots more on that episode as well. It's definitely going to be one not to miss. That's it for this week. So until next time, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.